So I'm a huge fan of food. Anybody else a huge fan of food? Love food? Mm, 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 mm. I'm going to try and eat every single one of these cream pies up here during my sermon today. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so even, the thing that's even better than food is free food. Now that tastes even better than when you make it yourself. So we're going to do something kind of fun to start out the service this morning. It'll make sense after we're finished. Uh, it's kind of a lead into the message. So if you're here and you really, like, you, you, you enjoy the idea of a free meal and you'd like to try and come up and compete to, to win a free meal, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to do a little contest up here. It takes a minute, if you've ever seen the show Minute to Win It. And um, the winner is going to get a gift card to go to dinner at Circa Restaurant, Clarendon, DuPont. I think it's one other location. Great restaurant. But even those of you who are terrible at the game will give you a little uh, gift card to go to lunch at Potbelly. So um, if you like free food and you want to get up here, we're not going to be, it's not an eating contest. You're actually going to have to stack these on your forehead. I'll tell you more later. But um, so here, here's the deal. I'm going to hand pick four contestants, four contestants to play this game. Now, I'm going to pick the four people that I can tell really want to come up here. So if you think that just sitting in your chair and going like this is going to get you picked, it's not happening, okay? First service, it took a little while to get into it. So I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to start looking for my four contestants. If you want to get up here and you want to play Minute to Win It and you want to try and win that meal, then uh, I, I, need to, I need to see who is interested. So show me somehow. Give me a sign. I, see, you got to do a little better than that. Oh, right there. Come on. You're, you're in. Okay, right here. Okay, I got a dancer up there with a white scarf. And I got a yeller back there in the back. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. We got, we got our four. We got our four. One, two. So, I don't think I... I don't think I picked you. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. Shoot. Yes, I get... Two women and two men. Yes. Okay. This is this is good. This is good. Let's give a hand to our volunteers. Okay. So why don't we start down here? If you guys could just just go ahead and say your name and then pass the mic down. I'm Jackson. Jackson. All right. Paul. Paul. I'm Holly. Holly. Mariana. You got like people up there or something. Okay. All right. Jackson, Paul, Holly, and Mariana. Okay, so here's what you guys are going to do. This is a little minute-to-win-it deal. And um, apparently, hostess, there's like some strike going on, so we couldn't get the ding-dongs that we needed. But we, we improvised. We got oatmeal cream pies, I think. What you're going to do is you only get one hand on this. So you put one hand behind your back, one hand behind your back, and then one hand, you got to take these one at a time. You put them on your forehead like this, and then I can't find where they are. And you got to stack seven on your forehead and get them to stay there for two seconds, okay? Seven on your forehead. You've got one minute to do it. Now, the, your fellow people out here are going to help you because we're going to have a countdown clock behind you. So um, when we get to about 10 seconds, guys, just go ahead and start on the 10, 9, right? So that they know. Now, here's the deal. If nobody gets to seven... Okay, they got it in first service. We had a winner. But if nobody gets to seven, then when we get to, to the end of that minute, the countdown is done. Whoever has the most on their head at that moment is going to win. All right? So you can rearrange. Go, go ahead. Feel free. Rearrange. Get yourself. Yes. Now, she's very into this. Okay. 
Yes. Get your strategy. Oh, here, and remember, remember, you can, you, it's not like this, guys. It's not like this. You got to do one, one at a time, one hand only. Okay, one at a time, one hand only, one hand behind your back. All right? Now, do we have, are we ready to roll the, the countdown clock? Okay. Here we go. And feel free, once they get started, feel free to cheer them on like crazy. All right, here we go. Let's run the clock. Let's run the clock. The game begins in three, two, Okay, we got three over here, we got four, uh-oh, keep going, we got four, there's five, we got six right here, okay, ready, one, two, three, okay, we're good, yes, there it is, there it is. Tell me your name one more time. Paul. Paul. All right. All right. Paul, that was, that was incredible, man. That was a very, very good job. You are the winner of the uh, dinner at Circa. You enjoy yourself. Try not to wear that jersey too much around here. Um, but we, we love you anyway. Uh, and then here you go. Thank you for playing. Thank you for playing. Let's give these guys a big hand. All right. All right, so why in the world did we just do this? Was this totally random, or was there a reason for why we just did this activity? Well, here's what this little activity tells us. Here's what we can learn from what we just did. People will go to incredible lengths to get a free meal willing to risk looking like an idiot, uh, come up, wave their arms, be crazy, come up and do crazy things, all in the name of free food. Today, we are looking in the Gospel of John, in the New Testament of the Bible, in John chapter 6. If you brought your Bible with you, I encourage you to take it out and turn to John chapter 6. If you got a program when you came in, uh, the outline is on the back and you'll see it up on the screen. So here's the deal. In John chapter 6, you guys, there are, there's a group of people, and they are really into this free meal thing. I mean, this is nothing. What just happened up here, they're going to far greater lengths to get their hands on some free food, and we're going to take a look at that in a minute. But let me just give you what's going on. Let me, let me give you a little warm-up so you kind of understand what's going on at this point in the story. So there's this crowd of people. And they have been following Jesus around because Jesus has been doing these miracles and he's been healing all kinds of people. And so word is spreading and people are just following him by the thousands. And they follow Jesus. They're up in northern Israel by the Sea of Galilee. And so they're up in a, in a region up on the Sea of Galilee called Tiberias. And Jesus is there at the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And thousands of people have come and they've, they've followed him. And so they're there, and it's getting late in the day, and Jesus is like, man, you know, there's nowhere really to eat around here. I've got to feed these people. And so he does probably his most famous miracle, even if you're here and you haven't grown up in church and you don't really know anything about the Bible, you've probably heard of the feeding of the 5,000. So every gospel of the four gospels records the, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And so Jesus takes just a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish, and he, he blesses the meal, and he like multiplies it by how only God can do that kind of thing. And he feeds 
5,000 men alone. So we don't even know how many people total were there. They didn't count. They only counted the men's heads in those days. That's a different sermon. But anyway, so, so you can imagine the scene. You can imagine how whipped up into a frenzy everybody is, right? This is in this miraculous feeding. It's come out of nowhere. What does Jesus do next? He tells his 12 disciples. He's like, okay, boys, see that boat right there? Time to ship out. In the midst of all this craziness, when people must have been just so charged up, he's like, time to go. He sends them out on a boat across the lake. And um, he goes a little while later. So he stays with the crowd a little longer. And then he decides he wants to go. This is my favorite miracle that Jesus does. He decides he's going to walk on water. Man, that would have been cool to see. So, um, so he walks on water and he joins the disciples midway in their journey from Tiberias, a good distance across this lake to the sea. I mean, to um, to Capernaum. So they get in the boat and uh, and they get to their destination. Well, that's where we pick up the story in verse 22. It says the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there. And that Jesus hadn't entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. It's like, what the heck? How did he, where did he go? Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So some boats came in to where the crowds were. It says, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So this crowd is so amped up about what has happened, that these people come in on these boats to come into Tiberias, and they're like, sweet, boats, let's go. And they just all just pile in, and they head out looking for Jesus. They're so whipped into a frenzy over what has happened. And here's the really amazing thing. They actually track Jesus down. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? They're like, we know he didn't have a boat. I mean, what in the world? Okay, what's, what's going on? How did, when did you get here, Jesus? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Now, Jesus could have said any number of things to welcome this huge crowd of people that were flooding in off of these boats right? If Jesus was concerned about making sure he had a tremendously big following, he could have affirmed these people coming and be like, wow, guys, that's, that's awesome. How in the world did you track me down? I mean, you guys are pretty resourceful, and that shows a lot of commitment and determination. I mean, way to go. You know, you're the kind of follower that's worthy. You know, I mean, he could have really pumped him up. He could have leveraged all this and been like, come on, guys, come on in. Jesus doesn't do that. Interesting what he does. Instead of affirming them, he calls them out. He says, guys, I see right through you. I know why you're here. See, you're not here because you've seen these signs that show that I am this awaited Messiah, this Savior, that the Hebrew Scriptures, we call the Old Testament, right? That the Scriptures prophesied about and they predicted that there would be the Savior who would come and would save his people. He says, you've seen all these signs, but you're not here because you've seen these signs that that are, are starting to make you wonder whether I am actually the Savior, that I am the Son of God. He said, no, that's not why you're here. You're just here for the free food. You're just looking for more bread. He goes on to say, don't work for food that spoils, 
but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Okay, now it's very important that you understand the context and and who Jesus is speaking to here. So this is a crowd of religious people, okay? They, they're, they're Jewish people. They, they know their Bible, their Hebrew Bible, the Old, the Old Testament. They would know that very well. And so here's what you need to understand about the Jewish people. They believed that they were God's chosen people. So God had chosen to bless them, to bless their nation, and, and to allow them to prosper. And it wasn't because that they were so great, and it wasn't because of all the wonderful things that they've done. They came from very humble beginnings. But God basically just said, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. Okay? Totally by God's grace, took these people in. But then God said to them, but there's a few things that I need you to do that will show that you're my people. I want you to be holy. I want you to be a people set apart for me. And this is why. So that all the nations, all the surrounding nations, and all the different things that they believed, and all the crazy stuff that went on, that the Jewish people would be a light to all the world, that people would see them, and when people would be drawn to, to this nation of God, and, and everyone would come to know God. That was, that was kind of, the, the, that's the, the context, okay? So God said, there's a few things that you've got to do and not do to, to you kind of be set apart as my people so people, other nations will recognize you. All right? Make sense? So here's the problem. God lays these things out, and then the religious leaders over years and years and generations and generations and generations, the religious leaders took these different things that God said and psychoanalyzed them and said, okay, how do we interpret these laws? And there were all these different things written up and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different uh, regulations that had to be followed and addendums and requirements and all these, this stuff. And so it became this huge thing of like, what can I do and what can I not do? And when can I eat this? And when can I not eat this? And it was just crazy. It was like all this do's and don'ts stuff. And, you know, kind of have we lost sight of the grace piece, you know, that, that they were just God's people chosen first and foremost by God. So that being said, that make, it helps you to understand that question when they said, what must we do to do the works that God requires. They were used to like, okay, so what do we have to do? You know, like, what are the do's and what are the don'ts? And here's how Jesus replies. He says in verse 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. Jesus says, here's what you have, here's the work. Just believe in me. That's it. Just believe in me. So they asked him, verse 30, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? See, our ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, what they're referring to there with the manna is that um, many, many, many generations ago, the Jewish people were in slavery in Egypt, and they came out of Egypt, the exodus from Egypt, and they're in the wilderness, and they're like practically starving to death, and they pray and pray and God sends down this stuff from heaven. This stuff falls from the sky, and it's this bread-like substance that they called manna, which means, what is it? They, they literally, in the Hebrew, is like, what the heck is this stuff? They called it manna, but it was this bread-like substance, 
And so they're like, okay, you know, our ancestors, you know, God showed them this incredible sign that we still talk about to this day. So what sign are you going to give us? This is unbelievable to me that they're asking this question. Considering literally the day before, on the other side of the lake, Jesus fed thousands and thousands and thousands of them with a couple of loaves and a couple of pieces of fish. And what's even more amazing is why the people came to the lakeside in the first place. It's not on your outline, but it's on the screen. John uh, 6, 1 and 2. This is the whole reason the people came there in the first place and got fed was because it says that Jesus had crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him. Why? Because they saw the signs he performed by healing the sick. So the whole reason they were there in the first place was because they'd seen all these signs. He's healing all these people. Then he feeds them. And look, after the miraculous feeding, look at verse 14. It says, after the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. You guys, This was not 24 hours ago that this happened. It's ridiculous that they would have asked for a sign, right? Totally ridiculous. But you know what I realized as I I was studying this passage this week? I do the exact same thing. It is so easy to forget. So when my faith gets weak, when I have doubts, when I have questions, when I start to just kind of be in one of those places where, you know, I, I'm just, I'm really wrestling with things. I completely forget in those moments, those times in my life where God has so clearly showed up and answered a prayer, where it's been unmistakable, that it's just been way too many random, you know, coincidences for the thing to be random. It had to be God's intervention. I forget about all those God moments, those times in your life where you just so clearly knew the presence of God was there. You know, I forget about all those miraculous things that have taken place in my life. And those times when my faith gets weak, and I'm like, okay, God, yeah, but could you just give me a sign? Because, like, today, I'm just really, I need a sign. So I'm in this story, you guys. I see myself in this story. And so I just think it's funny. I mean, I'm kind of calling them out, but I'm calling myself out, too. Because, you know, how often do God's like, man, you know, I've given you signs. I really have. Um, but still, you know, we ask for it. We, we just do. We just do. So let's see how Jesus responds. To their, to their request for a sign. Verse 32. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. Moses was the leader of the Israelites, the Jewish people, when they were going through the wilderness, when the manna came down, the bread came down from heaven. Okay, so he's saying, it wasn't Moses. Moses was the leader, but it wasn't Moses that did this. It was, it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Yes, yes, this is the bread we want. This bread from heaven, yeah, we'll take it. How do we get it? Give it to us, Jesus. Then Jesus declared, I, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is saying, look, you want eternal life? Just believe in me. It's this recurring theme throughout this discourse that you'll see. He says, just believe in me. It's all you got to do. There's not this huge list of do's and don'ts and all these requirements and stuff. It's simple. You just believe in me. I am the bread that's come down from heaven. I've come down from heaven as God's son. Jesus continues. He says, but as I told you, you've seen me and still you don't believe. So here's where he finally responds to their question for a sign. He's saying, look, you've seen me. Okay, you've had signs. I've given them to you already. I'm right here in front of you, okay? I am the sign. You've seen me and still you don't believe. Verse 41, at this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? I mean, how can he say that he came down from heaven? There's a lot of times where, as I'm reading through this stuff and as I'm, as I'm wrestling with my faith, where I go, man, how cool would it have been to actually be there when Jesus walked this earth? Like, how much easier would it have been? You know, I mean, I read my Bible and I read all this stuff, but like I got all these questions and there's all this stuff and like, you know, I've never seen Jesus with my, with my two eyes. If I could have just seen him, you know, like if I could have just spent a, just a few hours with Jesus and heard him just do any one of his teachings and seen how he interacted with the crowds and how he healed people. If I could have just seen a miracle or two, you know, how much easier would it have been? It would have been so much easier to believe. But then I read this and I'm like, oh yeah. But, you know, if I would have seen Jesus, and then like, what if I would have met like his mom and dad? And then I would have met his siblings. And, you know, and, and, and I think it would have just brought that whole human side of Jesus really, you know, to just fully in my face. One of the divine mysteries about Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ is simultaneously fully God and fully human. So he's fully God, but also fully understands our human condition and our struggle, and that's why he could, he could die for us, for our sins. He, he had to be both. And so, but to see Jesus in his full humanness, this is what they're wrestling with here. They're like, we know his parents. I mean, you know, his brother is like so annoying. I mean, like that, you know, how does... How, how could this be the son of, how did he come from heaven? We, 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 you know, we, we know the people who saw him born in the manger out of Mary's womb. He didn't come from heaven. And all of a sudden I realized, you know what? It wouldn't have been any easier back then to believe than it is today. But Jesus replies, and I think this is a, there's so much deep stuff in here, guys, that's so hard to grasp. Um, and, and this is one of those things that I'm probably not even going to scratch the surface of it. But he replies, he says, stop grumbling among yourselves, guys. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. He's like, look, you're looking at the physical reality of things. You know, you're, you're seeing just what you can see physically. Because there's a whole other spiritual dimension to this. Right? And he's saying, you need God's help to understand the things of God. 
There, 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 there is just more to this than you, can, than you can see. And you need God's help to enable your faith to be able to understand it. Now, this is where things get really, really interesting. So hang with me for these next six verses, starting in verse 51. Because Jesus says some stuff, and then it is just crazy. So he goes, okay, I'm the living bread that can't, let me just, he just keep continuing on his discourse. says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Bread is my flesh, okay? Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Like, what the heck is he talking about? Then Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. And I in them. Is anybody else looking at this and going, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? What? This is freaky. This is bizarre. Like, is this some sort of cannibalistic, you know, ritual? What, what is going on here, right? If you're here and, you're, and this has caused you to step back and be like, wow, I don't, I don't know about any of this. This is, this is almost offensive in, in what it's saying, okay? If that's you... Listen, listen. The Jewish audience that Jesus was speaking to would have been even more taken back than than you are right now. Because, you see, for a Jewish person, it was clear and strictly prohibited in the Hebrew Scriptures, in Old Testament law, to drink blood or to eat any meat of any kind with any blood still left in it. Major deal. Like, you were just, like, cut off. I mean... this was, this was a huge, huge thing. So what is Jesus doing? I mean, he's, he's deliberately talking to his audience, and he's bringing this in as if to provoke them. As if, he knows that this is going to mess with them, and that's exactly what he's doing, guys. He's, he's deliberately messing with them. You've got to understand that. No bones about it. That's kind of funny, flesh, no bones. Anyway, um, um, anyway. <laughs> he's messing with them. Now, just so we're clear, Jesus was not talking literally. Again, you read, really read and meditate on what Jesus is saying, and there's, it's so deep, it's so complex, it's so mysterious. But Jesus is not advocating for some cannibalistic ritual here. Jesus is not literally talking about us like, like literally taking his flesh and his blood. What Jesus is saying to us in this passage, what he's referencing is this. He's referencing his sacrifice that he's going to make. He is going to literally sacrifice his flesh and his blood for our sins so that we would be made righteous in the eyes of God. And so what he's saying and where he's driving it home, where he says, my flesh is real blood and my blood, I'm sorry, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. When he's saying, this is real, what he's meaning is this. 
when I, this sacrifice that I'm making, if you can fully wrap your mind around it, if you can come to understanding of how powerful it is that I am laying down my flesh and my blood for you, it will be like real food for you. It'll sustain you. It'll fuel you. It will get you through this life. He's not saying literally you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. But here's the deal. He's making this point. Okay, he's been kind of trying to make the point, trying to make the point. There's this, this back and forth. And finally, he's going in the most dramatic, in the most over-the-top, in the most outrageous way possible to, to, so that his listeners would be able to hear what he's saying. He wants them never to forget this teaching, ever. Because most of them are totally dismissing it. They can't grasp it. It's outside of their paradigm. It's all about do's and don'ts and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it, he's like, no. Look at the response. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said. Now, you got to understand, he didn't just have 12 disciples, okay? He had 12, like, inner core disciples. But disciple is just a follower, follower of, of a rabbi. So he had tons and tons and tons of disciples, okay? So it says, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. That word hard in the Greek actually even better translates to offensive. It was hard in the sense that it was like, it was hard for me to take, hard for me to swallow. It was like, ugh, it was, it was tough. They said, who can accept it? Verse 66 says, from this time, many of his disciples, many, many of them, turned back and they no longer followed him. What's up with that? That might mess with your understanding of Jesus a little bit right there. This is not the only place in Scripture that Jesus does this. And people turn away. And people say, this is, this is too tough, this is too challenging, this is too frustrating, this is whatever. What's up with this? Why didn't he embrace this crowd in, welcome them in, What's going on? Well, this actually tells us a tremendous amount about who God is. See, God is not interested in being popular with us. Okay? God's not about trying to win some popularity contest. God isn't about like approval ratings and just making sure that like he can appeal to the absolute broadest and widest possible audience. That's not what God is most concerned about. God's not concerned about popularity. You know what God's concerned about? He's concerned about us reaching our true potential. He's concerned with us living this life to the fullest, living this life to the max, to the, as far as we could possibly live it, the way that he's intended us to live. And so the deal is that God knows that if we're going to live life to the fullest, okay, if we're going to reach our true potential, our God-given potential, then at times we have to be willing to allow God to mess with us, to intervene in our lives, to correct us, to tell us stuff that we don't want to hear, that's hard, that might even be offensive to us. Here's the question for you. You want to write this in. Are you willing to let God mess with you? Simple. Are you willing to let God mess with you? Like, when you think about your life and how you do things, okay, 
If you're like me, you've probably got in a pretty decent rhythm. You have a certain way of doing things. You have a certain system of beliefs that you subscribe to, things that you know are good, things that you know are not so good, right? You kind of got your little life thing going, and it's going pretty well. Are you open to correction? Like, are you open if God were to, to whisper something to you that you needed to do something that you're not doing or you needed to stop doing something that you're doing right now? Are you open to hearing God if God may want to challenge you? It's, for me, it's so, it's so easy to think, oh, yeah, I love, I love hearing how much God loves me. Yeah, I love hearing about how much God appreciates what I do. I love all the goods that, you know, like, also patting me on the back, you know. What I really want, if I'm going to be totally honest, is I actually want Jesus to follow me. I, I want to go like, I'm going my way and I'm doing my thing and there's certain things I don't want to do because they're hard and they might cause me pain. There's certain things I'm not going to do over here because that's going to be just too tough or not right now, you know. I got my kind of thing. What I want is I want Jesus to follow me and say, hey, Derek, great job today. That was cool. That's really what I want. If I'm going to be totally honest, do I want him messing with me? No. Who wants that? But you see, we're not here to have Jesus follow us around. That's not what it's about, right? It's I have to realize that I am following Jesus. And wherever he wants to go, wherever he wants me to go, I'm supposed to follow him, not the other way around. So let me just give you a practical way that this plays out. So your Bible, okay? We believe that this is God's word, inspired word of God given to us. This is the number one way, but it's not the only way, but it's the number one way that God speaks to us. This is God's gift to us. It's how God communicates with us, one of the ways, okay? Now, when you come to certain passages in the Bible, and you know what I'm talking about, there's certain passages and you're like, oh man, you know, I don't know about that one because, you see, this, I mean, we've got to remember it was written a long time ago. And, you know, we're in 21st century Washington, D.C. This was like the Middle East like 2,000 years ago. And there's certain things that, you know, that maybe they're just a little outdated or maybe I'm just not understanding the, the cultural context, but I'm not so sure that they apply to me today. Uh, there's certain things in here. And it's like, I don't know that it's realistic for God to still expect that. I mean, does God, is God still up on culture? Does God kind of understand how things are working these days? Like, I just don't know that that really still applies to me. Or you may come to certain passages and you're like, yeah, yeah, I know that we're supposed to love our enemies and we're supposed to forgive and all that stuff. But, but God, you don't understand what that person did to me. You, I mean, they don't deserve it right now. I mean, I know that you say it, but, but no, I mean, just not right now. Right? I mean, there's, there's these things that we do. There's these passages that are difficult. If you really read it, Jesus actually, he's not interested in seeing how many people he can get. Jesus primarily is interested in, look, there's a certain way that we're going. This is the way. Come on. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But here's the thing. It leads to a full life. It leads to abundance. It leads to being set free from things that we don't even realize are holding us back. If I'm not willing to let God mess with me, like every time I come to something hard, challenging, difficult, something that's going to require me to sacrifice too much or do something that I don't feel like doing in the moment, if every time I just dismiss that, am I really going to grow? Am I going to get there? I don't think that I am. I don't think that I am. 
Are you willing to let God mess with you? Are you willing to let God challenge you? What do you do with those difficult parts of the Bible that you don't like? Do you dismiss them? Or is there an openness to saying, okay, God, maybe I'll try that. Maybe I'll be open to that. If you're here today and you feel like you're kind of stalled out spiritually, like you're kind of in a rut, you've just kind of been going through the motions for a long time, I'm not saying that this is, this is the reason, but if, if you feel like maybe, yeah, I haven't heard, I feel like I haven't heard from God in a while, I just want to hear God's voice again, or I feel like God's not speaking to me, or whatever, I just don't feel... Is a very good chance that what could be going on is that you actually don't want to hear it. Is that you're actually the one who's closed off. That God has actually said certain things. Hey, you know, I need you to forgive this person. I need you to do this. I need you to be more generous here. I need you, whatever it is, right? And you're like, oh, yeah, but that's just, oh, but that's just, okay. So I, th- this is so important, you guys. We want this full life. We want this abundant life. Are you willing to let God mess with you? Or does everything have to be your way? I love, uh, we're going to conclude with, with these last couple of verses. I love what Jesus does next. He turns to um, the 12 disciples, his inner circle of 12, and he says to them, you don't want to leave too, do you? And he's basically like, you guys heading out too? It seems like everybody else is bailing. You guys going? Simon Peter, he was, he was the spokesperson. He was the leader of the 12. So he's kind of speaking for all of them. He said to Jesus, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, what's so cool about this is if you don't know much about these 12 disciples, okay, they did not have it all figured out. Okay, let me just say that to you right now. The more you read in those Gospels, oh my goodness, these guys were hilarious. I mean, literally, every time Jesus would teach a parable, he'd teach this amazing parable. And then, like, he'd go off with his 12, and they'd be like, hey, Jesus, that was cool. What the heck did that mean? You know, I mean, they were constantly, like, clueless, and they were power struggles, and they didn't get it. And then Jesus said, I'm going to die, and this is my incredible plan for the world to redeem it. And Peter's like, never! I mean, they just had no clue. They were totally, you know, but here's the thing. They... They were like, you know, we don't have it all figured out. This is basically what, what I'm reading way into this, okay? But, but just go, go with it because I really, I really believe it's true. Peter's like, look, I got all these doubts. I got all these questions. I don't fully understand this. But what choice do we have, man? Like, who else are we going to follow? You say some really cool stuff. We don't understand it all. You know, you've healed people. I mean, there's all these signs. He's like, I got enough. We, we're, we're sticking with you, okay? Here's the deal for you right here. Maybe you're here and you're filled with questions, struggles, doubts. You're like, I don't even know if the Bible is true. I don't even know if Jesus, I don't even know if God fully exists. I'm still trying to figure that out. That's awesome that you're here. Here's the thing. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't. But if you just at least have an openness to say, you know what? I don't know. I don't, I don't have it all figured out, but, but I'm going to be open. I'm willing to let you mess with me, God. I'm willing, you know, just because it doesn't necessarily fit with what I want, maybe, am I just going to discount it and say that that's not you? I'm at least open. These 12, they were, they were at least open to hearing from God and, and being willing to kind of question and, and be challenged. And that's, that's ultimately all I want to challenge you with today. Are you willing to let God mess with you? Are you willing to let God challenge you? Are you willing when you read this, if this really is God's word, to just try and do what it says and see what happens? 
the cool thing is, the disciples just kept following. And you know what happened? Eventually, all their questions were getting answered. You keep following, you keep doing, you, it, it'll, it'll work itself out. It really, really will. It's an amazing thing. So anyway, we're going we're gonna to close with prayer, and the music team's going to come up. So if you'd join me, um, let's bow our heads. God, um, we are all here um, because deep down we know, no matter where we are in our journey, God, that, that um, we want to know you, we want to meet with you, and we desire that abundant life that you talked about. We want to live life to the fullest. But God, I know for me, I don't want you to mess with me. I really am pretty happy with how things are going, and, and I, don't, I, I don't enjoy that, God. But, but I know that you want the best for me. You want the best for everyone here. God, help us to be open to, if you want to challenge us, correct us, mess with us for our good and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.